This program is sponsored by Futures Unbounded and is responsible for its content. Welcome, fellow humans, to the Writing is on the Wall radio program coming to you from WHKW 1220, a Salem radio station. I am T.A., your teacher's assistant, and I'm here to discuss what the Bible holds for us. Uh, I've been trying to, and I've mentioned many times over the past few weeks, that I've been trying to find an avenue for people to understand what it is that I'm trying to say. Um, a characterization method, um, um, not so much a sales um, method, but a way to get people involved. And my Bible study's been helping, and my Tuesday and Thursday. And we are still studying Ephesians 6. There's a lot in there. Um, and we'll mention that today. But basically, um, the things that um, I'm trying to get you all to do is to think outside the human-defined box. Now, what is that? The human-defined box is everything that we tell each other, well, this is what this means, and this is what that means. Um, we need definition, and we need to agree on definitions for things. But sometimes those definitions do not tell us the entirety of the area that we're trying to define. They're just a, a data point or several data points. And even if you link those data points together, you have not defined the entire plane of that particular concept's existence. Now, the reason that I'm saying this is because we have a record of Jesus Christ, not just the fact that he was born um, and had several miracles uh, and used them to get people to listen to him um, and hopefully to spread the word about what he was trying to tell humanity because that happened, and as a result of it, Many religions were born. That's right. All our responses to Christ's message were religious. And it's got to the point where we thought, all of us, all humans everywhere, think that the only responses to Jesus' message should be and are religious. That's completely untrue. Completely untrue. God has no religion, even though Jesus was born a Jew because of his mother. He was excommunicated rather harshly, <laughs> if you will, <laughs> and um, strung up on a cross. Now, it's important to understand that even though 
he didn't expressly reject religion. He allowed them to reject him. He did reject their message, which was that they were the only path to God and that following their instructions and directions were the only path to God. So it not only had to go through them, but you had to live up to the, was it, 614 different rules and regulations in the Mishnah. Um, everything that was um, recorded by Moses and the Levites. I mean, it's just, anyway, the whole message, well, the most important aspect of Jesus' message was that we were all children of God and that we are all available to God through Jesus Christ. Now, that was a message that the Jews didn't want getting out. They kept it to themselves for 4,000 years. Um, and if they had obeyed God then and followed through on his instructions and directions, I hate to think that we would have been left out, but perhaps we would now be Jewish. I don't know. But the fact that they spurned what God told them and that they spurned his son when he sent them after all the other um, prophets that he sent them to tell them that they were screwing up and that they needed to get right with God just goes to prove how unimportant and how time-consuming and energy-consuming religion is. And it's easy to see why Jesus was not a part of any religion and did not found a religion. Now, he did ask Peter to establish his church. And so every religion establishes church, churches. And because of that, we're supposed to think that the religions are acceptable also. I disagree. Jesus would have disagreed. Paul definitely disagreed. But that doesn't mean that we don't listen to other human voices. And that's the significant problem. God is still on one side of the equation, and all of humanity is still on the other side of the equation. And we're not waking up. We're not crawling over the equal side sign to God. And that's the problem. Well, that's one of the big problems. If you look at God's work here on earth from a completely dispassionate, uninvolved point of view, what would you say? Don't even think about how you're involved or your family or your friends or any other humans. Just look at the entirety of what God has done and ask yourself why and what you think about it. Well, let me help you. If you have not read the Bible stringently enough to pick up 
um, even Moses' words. Moses uh, laid it all out in Deuteronomy. If there was ever a book, the Bible, that needed to be memorized, not just word for word, but concept for concept, Deuteronomy is that book. John pulls a close second, but... Moses wanted to let us know that we had an opportunity. God gave us an opportunity here on earth. Now, the religion came about and said that we were created physically on earth and that mankind did not exist before that. And they are talking about the bodies of men rather than the spirits of man. And that's the issue because we know that men's bodies existed on earth. We don't know anything about the people that inhabited those bodies, but the bodies in significant function and fashion were already here on earth tens of thousands of years ago, developed at least physically to where what we are today was not a huge leap. But religion told all the people who would listen, no, your bodies were created. That's what Genesis means. And, of course, we know that that is not true, that the bodies were not created. Now, they may have been actually modified. We don't know that. We are missing significant, what do they call those? Missing links between the fossil record and the current record. So we're not sure how it went from one to the other, what process there was. And we focus on that rather than focusing on the important part, which is the soul and the spirit. The soul is the recording device for the human. Just the way a record was in years past. Just the way um, a hard drive is for a computer today. It's where all the, the memories, the actions, and everything are stored. That's the soul. Now, the stylus that wrote onto the old wax disc so that it would, when played back, give you music, the stylus is the spirit. And go to Hebrews 4. 
and read verse 12. Hebrews is a very important book. It's way towards the end of the Bible, the New Testament, well, the entire Bible. But there's an awful lot in there to try and understand about the difference between Jesus and men and men's souls and the learning process. Hebrews is a book that requires deep thought and plenty of time to go over, read the rest of what Paul wrote, read the rest of the Bible, and then try and compare them from Paul's point of view and realize that Paul was human. And his point of view may be flawed. So the thing that you want to get from it is not that he was automatically right whenever he said anything, but that he thought that he was based on his knowledge. And that's what you need to take away from this. The name of this program is the writing is on the wall. All right, that's a reference to Daniel 5. Um, and that's when God, a, a human hand appeared and wrote on the wall with a fingertip. Many, many tekel parson. Four words. Now, we have written in the Bible for us the observations of humans who were at the live at the time that things happened and they wrote down what they thought they saw, what they understood to be true. There's that old uh, Baptist joke, and I think I've mentioned it before, about the um, woman who was alive in the early parts of the 1900s and had never been to a circus. And one was coming to town, but there was a problem, and they had to take the elephants off the train and walk them into town along the road. Well, one of those newfangled automobiles came around and honked the horn coming around the corner, scared the elephant, one of the elephants, and the elephant took off. And they couldn't follow it because it was moving pretty fast. And so they got together all the animals that they could, and they pushed on to the pens that were set up next to the circus, and then they had to go out and look for the elephant. Well, a woman called the police captain. She had a brand new phone. She called him up and said, Captain, you need to come to my house immediately. Captain wanted to know why. She said, there is a giant mouse outside in my garden. Well, what's he doing? 
thinking that the old lady must be tipsy. And she says, he's plucking my cabbages with his tail, and I'm too much of a lady to tell you what he's doing with them. Well, of course, we know that it was an elephant, and that was his trunk, not a tail, and he was eating the cabbages. But if you've never seen an elephant before and you had no idea that one was in your town, well, let's just say it's understandable how someone could make that mistake. So the people of our book that were alive in that time saw things and heard things and wrote them down, remembered them first, and then eventually had them written down, what they could remember of it, and what they thought they understood about it. And God had that preserved in the Bible for us. Not so we could throw all our intelligence to the wind and just accept what was written there, but so that we could use it to discern the difference between the people who lived then and their sophistication and weighed against what we know now, having grown up so many centuries with our current level of sophistication, and see if we come to the same conclusions they did or if maybe we can get a little bit more out of it. Well, it turns out that being alive in the 21st century and being educated in the sciences and the humanities and philosophy, as well as religion, we can look back and differentiate and say, wow, not only was the earth not flat, When so-and-so said this because they thought it was true, they were not necessarily correct. God did what God did. God said what God said. How humans took it was up to the individual human that was on the ground at that time. Now, Moses tried to characterize in Deuteronomy how important it was and what we should do to make comparisons. The people that followed Moses said, accept, 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 because they were the Levites, and even though their original job was just to keep the gratitude sacrifices in line so that the community could show their gratitude as a group. They morphed that into a religion where you had to obey them and what they said in order to be, quote, right with God, unquote. And that's one of the reasons that Jesus was sent 
Jesus was always going to be sent. He was part of the program. He was not an oopsie. He was not a response to the Jews' oopsie. But to think that God, that Jesus only had something to say for the people that lived in that time is foolish. Jesus had something to say not only for that time, but for all time. And what he had to say, we encumbered with religious thoughts. All the responses to Christ's message have been religious. If you're aware of one that isn't, please, please let me know. And I'm including the negative responses to Christ's words, too. If you think that communism and atheism and any other ism is not a religion just because they don't have, I don't know, a Bible. I guess they do have probably their own type of Bible and their own type of church. But they are religions. You have to follow their lead religiously or they will dump you. And on the way out, they're going to smear you too. They are probably the most active religion that we have. And it started in 1546. Well, actually started before that, but it was founded as a religion in 1546. It was called Libertinism originally. But then it morphed into liberalism, and then it morphed again, even though the liberalism came over here, to communism, atheism, socialism, all the isms, basically. So anyhow, here I am today telling you that I'm trying to give you an example from the name of this program, which is the writing is on the wall, which refers to Daniel 5 and refers to the four words that were written by a human hand, a human appearing hand, on the side of a wall. And Belshazzar, who was the son of Nebuchadnezzar and was ruling in that city at that time, had to send to find someone who could translate it for him. Now, this is what you need to understand. The Bible, everything that's in the Bible, has been translated and retranslated and retranslated. Along the way, it is entirely possible, and I'm sure of it, that certain aspects of those translations have been shunted aside. For an example, and this is one I've mentioned before, the word worship. We now think of the word worship as I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy, which is basically obeisance. And that's all that we think of the word worship. That's, that's the entirety of the definition. 
But the old timers, back when their Bible was first written and they wrote the term worship, the term in its entirety referred to working in the field of the owner to provide a finished solution. So you didn't own the field, you didn't own the wine press, you didn't own the, the fruit or the anything that was to be reaped. You were not the owner, you were the worker. And you were there not just to do a specific job, but to work until the job was completed. And that was the message to us. And we're on the break now, and when we come back from the break, we will continue with that. Swamp, fake news, racist hats? Are you afraid to believe anymore? Well, let me tell you of one brave soul who, like David, slew Goliath. The true story of one man's fight against greed, corruption, and insatiable ambition in small-town Ohio, Checkmate reveals why passion and integrity are rare in the corridors of swing state politics. If you want to hear the truth, how the swamp operates in Ohio with all the political corruption in real time, get Steve Krause's tell-all true-life story, Checkmate, One Man's Fight Against Political Corruption, available on Amazon. As a newly elected state representative, Steve takes you behind the scenes, behind the closed doors, and rips back the curtain to expose all the lies, the deceit, and power-hungry gamesmanship. Checkmate reads like a TV drama, but it's not. Once you start it, you won't be able to put it down. Checkmate, one man's fight against political corruption by Steve Krause, available on Amazon today. Be afraid. Be very afraid. There are those in Washington who want the IRS to take more of your hard-earned money. Are you tired of being the perpetual cash cow for every scheme, unreasonable program, and for all the fraud, waste, and abuse in our system? Well, good news. I can help. George Satari has almost 40 years of experience helping people like you keep more of what you make. It makes no sense that the more you make, the more they take. Let George help you keep your money away from the government bureaucratic waste and in your pocket. Call 216-651-1120 right now and schedule your free consultation today. Instead of a victim, you'll, you'll be, be the, the victor. victor. With many success stories, George helps with tax planning, estate planning, financial and business analysis, and more. The new tax law has many ways to save money with retirement planning, accelerated depreciation, up to 20% exception of net earnings, and so much more. Call 216-651-1120. That's 216-651-1120. You earn it, we'll help you keep it. That's George Satari, CPA, 216-651-1120. Welcome back, fellow humans, to the Writing is on the Wall radio program coming to you from WHKW 1220, a Salem radio station. Well, we're going to continue with Daniel, Daniel 5, 
and we're going to go down to what was written on the wall by a human appearing hand. If you want to follow along, go to verse 26. Go to verse 25 first. This is the inscription that was written. Mene, mene, tackle, parson. Four words. Just the four words. And the first two were the same. So what can four words tell you? Well, the first two, mene, mene, mene is a measure, measuring stick, like, uh, or numbered. It could be... Um, you could be measured out a measure of grain. But many, many, two of it meant it was, and we still use the term many today, by the way, um, meant that it was not only measured, but measured to finality. So the measurement has been taken, and it is this. All right? Just two words. But that's what you needed to translate it for, and that's why he needed Daniel to translate. So Daniel translated that for him. And he says, this is in verse 26, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tackle. You have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Paris. Your kingdom shall be divided between the Medes and the Persians. Now, as a matter of fact, they were outside the gates at this time. And he was partying like there was no tomorrow because there probably was not going to be a tomorrow. All they could do is hope to hold on as long as possible, but things were going to get tight and there were going to be no more parties after tonight. Of course... That was before they came in under. But we won't go through that right now. Read Daniel 5 and 6. It's very interesting. Anyway, the part of it was that he had pushed everything along to the end where there was no recourse. There's a um, YouTube video that I've mentioned in the past. As a matter of fact, I think it was the second program that I did. And I recommend that you use your search engine to find it. It's called The Writing on the Wall. And it's by narrated by Gary Tent. Kent, K-E-N-T, like Kent State University. And it's on TIG.TV. 
It's about a half hour long. And it's a good historical narrative. And it explains how Belshazzar, who was not Nebuchadnezzar's son, but his grandson, how he got to that point and how he had allowed the kingdom to be divided into two so that he could be ruler over part of it. Remember the, I think it's the, is it the seventh level of hell that Dante talks about? Better to be a ruler in Hades than a servant in heaven? Yeah, no. Christians definitely do not agree with that. But apparently, that was okay for Belshazzar. But his time was up. And that's what happens throughout human history. We push things and push things and push things until the end and our time is up. Now, his body's time was up, as well as his reign. He would not see the sunlight, not as a free living human. But that's, and that is part of the story. But if you ask yourself, why have things deteriorated so much, so fast, here in the United States of America, as well as the rest of the world, when we had it so good for so long, when we at least followed the tenets of Christ, even if we didn't understand why, then you understand God's message that you can push things along until you get to the end, but the end is the end, and you've got to do something else. So we have allowed religion to be our major, major motivating force. It is the thing that we have allowed to speak to us about God, and we have not delved into it more deeply to discover what it is that God wanted of us. Instead, we have accepted assurances from other humans who have used religious adjudications. They have said things that others could not refute and if they did, back in the old days at least, they'd burn them at the stake, nail them to a cross, whatever it took to shut them up. And those are the people that you have allowed to push you to the end of your existence. God wrote the Bible for you. He did not write it for others to enslave you. 
it is up to you to use the brains and the ability and the maturity that all humans' time on earth have given us, along with the words that are recorded us for us in the Bible, not only from God, but from Jesus Christ. Now, I know this sounds like a religious entreaty because this is the way all religious entreaties operate. And if I were to ask you to send me money or something like that, then I'd be another religion or another religious expounder. And I'm not. Do not send me any money. I have enough trouble trying to find out what God wants me to do with what he's given me. I don't want any more. Thank you. No, what's important is getting the message out to the world about what Jesus was trying to tell us. We took what we could from his words without making the major change that he told Nicodemus about. You remember in John 3, Nicodemus came to him after a speech. He came to him at night so that he wouldn't be seen by other members of the ruling class, the Jewish council. He wasn't stupid. He knew what they were going to try and do to Jesus. And he didn't want to be involved. But Jesus said things that would not let him turn a blind eye. Now today we understand that the Holy Spirit was working on him, which we did not have any indication of then, no explanation for. But even though he was in this position, this ruling class position, he still had enough questions and concern to go speak with Jesus. And that's when we got some information that we would not get anywhere else. And that is once you make the switch to making decisions scientifically without any sort of emotion or subjective feeling, but you base it on reality, and you do it not just for yourself, but for all your fellow humans, then you will be born again. It's like being born again. Because all the mistakes you made when you were operating on that major premise, what do I think? What do I want? What's good for me? When you remove that premise and replace it with the premise, what's good for all humans? 
what's good for everyone? What can I do to move the needle forward for all humanity? When you finally make that switch and make your decisions based on that rather than on personal gain or aggrandizement, then you'll be following what Jesus told his disciples he came for in John 7, 24. Now, I keep that one pretty handy. So, of course, I won't be able to find it right this second. But John 7, 24 said, you know what? I'm just going to look it up. I have it on John 3. I have a, a book open. I'm going up to John 7. So please bear with me. Because I want to get this right. John 7, 24. Stop judging by outward appearance. And there was an exclamation point at the end of that. Instead, judge correctly. Period. Now, if you have a red-letter Bible, those letters are there in red because they are his words. And that is why he was sent. Verse 25. Some of the people who lived in Jerusalem said, Isn't this the man they want to kill? 26. But look at this. He's speaking in public, and no one is saying anything to him. Can it be that the rulers really know that this man is the Messiah? Those are the words of the crowd that followed Jesus' pronouncement. If you, why are you angry with me because I made a man entirely well on the day of rest, a holy day? Stop judging by outward appearance. Instead, judge correctly. And that is the basic crux. That's why we were given the opportunity. That's why we've been permitted to live, learn, love, and mature for practically almost 6,000 years now, maybe a little over 6,000 years here on planet Earth. And 2,000 years ago, Jesus came to give us a wake-up call. And we followed somewhat the 
intense viewpoints that he gave, but not, we didn't understand that in order to fully function and to not have to make a personal judgment as to whether something was good or correct or beneficial to us or to anyone else, that if we switched to the objective method of making decisions, not for our own benefit, but to the benefit of all humanity of which we are a part, fulfilling that golden rule, treat everyone else as you would treat yourself. How many times have we heard that throughout the Old and the New Testament in many different forms? This is how you do it. You switch to objective decision-making and you never, ever have to wonder about, am I doing the right thing? You never have to worry about, am I giving enough to God? Or to God following God's plan? It all belongs to God. It's how much you're going to give back. But don't even you don't need to worry about that. Because you give as much as you can. You don't worry about it. The freedom that Jesus promised and the truth will set you free. Once you learn the truth, you are free. And nobody can really make fun of you. They can try. But you realize they're speaking from ignorance. And they're speaking from self-delusion and self-aggrandizement. And you feel sorry for them. And you try to show them away. But unless they're willing to step out of their comfort zone and trust God, they'll never be able to make the transition. Trust in the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and do not rely on your own understanding. Proverbs 3.5 It's relying on your own understanding and judging from your point of view by what you think is good and right that causes all the problems here on earth. Every last one. Because when you do it, every person who sees you doing it feels justified that they're doing exactly the same thing only their point of view is a little bit different. And you know what? You don't come out so well. And that's the problem. That's where evil lives. That's where 6,000 years ago in the garden, where Adam made a big mistake, he did not trust in the Lord. He trusted his own understanding. And we've been doing it ever since. Every man born of woman since then started out the same way. 
Jesus made the switch and then tried to teach us about it. He only had three years to do it. But in the time that he had allotted, he gave it his all. And when God said, time is up, he went to the Garden of Gethsemane to ask for a little bit more time. But when God did not reply, he understood and said, thy will be done and obediently went with his servants to be incarcerated, judged, and then nailed to the cross. So we have someone who lived up to their instruction to the point where they gave up their lives. Jesus was not the first. There were prophets before him who were martyred because they would not quit telling the people what God wanted and expected of them. Jeremiah is one that comes to mind because he tried walk away say they're not listening they won't listen to me Lord help me show me what I must do but eventually he came back and said this is the way it is I cannot change I cannot change God's words you cannot ignore them you can kill me to keep me silent, but that will not change the words. And they did. And it did not change what God had said and Jeremiah had written. And it came down to us. And there's so much for us in Jeremiah. A lot of people think Isaiah is the next most important book in the Bible after Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, I think it's Jeremiah. Isaiah is good. It points to the fact that Jesus was coming and that he would have a message for us that would free us. But of course, the Jews only heard what they wanted to hear. So they killed that messenger too but not before he was able to get his disciples to get the word out, the Great Commission. Go into all the world and tell them what I have taught you. And religion continued to do that. So even if they were wrong in what they were saying, they were at least correct in keeping the thought of God's Son and deliverance in front of us, involving us, involving our parents and our grandparents and our society. Now we're at the point where we have to take 
that opportunity that they gave us and not drop it, but figure out why it didn't work. And that's what my next week's program is going to be about, why it didn't work. It was never meant to work. God's Word is the only thing that's meant to work, not what men say about God's Word. And because of the disappointment and the ineptitude of the humans handling God's Word, we are at the crossroads that we are now at in our society. And it was predetermined that we would come here. So all that's happening is happening as a part of God's will to help wake us up. And this is our wake-up call. So we will discuss that next week here on the Writing Us on the Wall radio program, which is being broadcast on Salem Radio, WHK 1220. And I'll talk to you again next Tuesday night. Good night. program has been sponsored by George Satari, CPN.